0: Father, we're thankful that you are our glory, the lifter of our head, that in you we have all that we need, even if everything in this world were taken away from us. As long as we have you, we have enough. And how thankful we are to have a God who loves us so intensely and who cares for us so deeply that he would give his only son, that whosoever would believe in him would never perish but have everlasting life. Father, as we open up your word, I pray, as we talk about what to do when you speak, that you would speak to each of our hearts today. And even more than that, I pray that as you speak, we will listen, we will obey, and we will share. In the good name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. We're going to get our Bibles this morning and open up to the book of Acts as we have been there for several weeks. We'll continue uh, to be there this morning. The book of Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. And I want to share with you for a few moments a message titled, When God Speaks. When God Speaks. Words are powerful. You probably learned as a youngster that uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And that's a nice little sentiment. The problem is, it's not true, is it? Because words have power. Think of the power of the words that were spoken by President Lincoln in his Gettysburg Address. Or think about the powerful words that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. spoke when he wrote that speech and delivered that speech, I have a dream. Remember the famous words of President John F. Kennedy, ask not what your country can do for you, but what Okay, 14 of you paid attention in history class, <laughs> and the rest of you were completely zoned out. I guess I should retry, I was going to say those are famous words, maybe not so much. Uh, or, or how about when in the aftermath of, of 9-11, when President George W. Bush stood in that rubble with that megaphone, offered words that were very powerful. Sometimes those words build us up and, and sometimes they humble us. The, the words of a child can humble you. I remember when our twenty-two-year-old just turned twenty-two last week, in fact, and I remember when he was much younger and, and I asked him one day after church, I said, Jake, what was your most favorite part of church today? And he said, when it was over. <laughs> powerful words, man. <laughs> Words have power. God reveals himself to creation through words. Over 1,000 times in scripture, you will find the two words God said. And when God said, it was powerful. Think back to creation, the book of Genesis. And God said, let there be, and there was. His words were very powerful. When his friend Lazarus had died, Jesus went to raise him from the dead, the way Lazarus knew to get up out of the grave was when Jesus spoke the words, "Lazarus, come forth." Matthew's gospel records for us that one day Jesus calmed a sea, and the way he calmed that raging sea was, was by rebuking it, and the way he rebuked it was by using his words. Why don't you look at this verse before we look at our text in Acts in John chapter one, verse one to verse fourteen? which tells us in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And in verse 14, it tells us that that Word dwelt among us. It became flesh, and that Word made his dwelling among us. And what that is teaching us is that when Jesus came to earth, that was Jesus was God speaking to man. So whenever God speaks, it demands attention and it demands action on the part of the one who receives that message. We're going to see today in our text Uh, How God spoke directly and specifically to just a regular guy by the name of Philip, and we're going to see how Philip reacted to what God had to say. Now, at the very outset, you may be thinking, well, this is fine for Philip. Philip was in a special class of people, Philip must have been some special, extraordinary person. But let me remind you that Philip is not an apostle, Philip is not seminary trained. Philip did not have perfect attendance pens for attending Sunday school during his childhood days. Philip had not been exposed to RAs or to Awanas. Philip had never gone and participated in Bible drill. Philip was just a regular person who followed after Jesus. And here again we see this theme that you will see over and over and over again in Acts. And that theme is that God uses an ordinary follower of Jesus to bring the gospel to someone else. In fact, in this context, as we'll see, this is the first time the gospel is shared with a foreigner outside of Jerusalem. Philip, this normal, regular, ordinary guy, Not an apostle, not a pastor, not any place of influence or power, but this man, Philip, takes the first international short-term mission trip to introduce someone to Jesus. We are reminded in this as we think about how what happened to Philip that the Holy Spirit's teaching us, The same thing happens today. The most effective way to spread the gospel, the most effective way to be involved in being sent occurs when regular followers of Jesus embrace the fact that they have been sent into their communities, into their workplaces, into their neighborhoods, into their schools, into their families with the purpose of sharing with others who Jesus is and what Jesus has done them. For them. Now, the last time we saw Philip, which was last week, he was involved in a revival of sorts in a place called Samaria. Peter and John, the church leaders, come down from Jerusalem to check things out and to validate what's been going on. And now it's time for Philip to move on to his next assignment. That's where our text brings us in Acts chapter 8 and verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord, speaking on behalf of the Lord, said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south on the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza this is a desert place. Gaza was a small town that was way out of the way for Philip. It was also a Philistine city, which means it was full of, according to the Jews, those weird, nasty Philistines. So going from Jerusalem to Gaza is super inconvenient. This is about a 165-mile trip for Philip to make, and it's way out of the comfort zone for a Jew to make his trip. Nevertheless, verse 27 tells us, and Philip arose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now modern day Ethiopia is a very small country. New Testament day, Ethiopia, was a very large area of land. We're talking basically everything in Africa that was south of the Nile River. It was a huge area. This guy was the treasurer of that entire region. He has a powerful position. He's very close to the queen, which is why he is a eunuch. Now, for more information on why he is a eunuch, I would encourage you this week to email rjackson at fbcmilton.org. B. Mills at fbcmilton.org K. Martin at fbcmilton.org But if you want the really good report Bob L. at (laughs) fbcmilton.org He'll get you straightened out. So for whatever reason this, this guy was curious about the God of the Jews. So he traveled to Jerusalem to learn about this God. And the Spirit, verse 29 The Spirit said to Philip Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Don't don't miss this. In the midst of all that was going on back in Samaria... Big crowds, lots of people coming to Christ. God calls Philip, don't miss this. God calls Philip to make a 160 plus mile journey down to a Philistine filled town because God was preparing the heart of one Ethiopian who was ready to respond to the gospel. We need to remember that in the midst of all that's going on in our lives, in our jobs, with our families, as we run our errands, in the midst of all of that, we must remember that God has sent us, like Philip, into our world and into our circles of influence because right now, God is preparing the hearts of the lost people in your family, the lost people in your classroom, the lost people in your neighborhood. God is preparing their hearts to hear from you who Jesus is and what Jesus is. Jesus has done for you. Now the passage, verse 32, the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer, it is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. This portion of Scripture was from Isaiah 53, written about 800 years before the birth of Christ. And Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah would be like this lamb led to the slaughter. He'd be wrongfully accused. He wouldn't open his mouth. All this comes true with the life of Jesus when he stands before Pilate, is accused of crimes, doesn't open his mouth, and then goes to the cross and dies for our sins. Our text concludes, the chapter concludes, verse 34. Verse 34. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does this prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the river, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azatos, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Did you notice back up in verse 29 it says, The Spirit said to Philip, God spoke let's learn from Philip's example. When God speaks, what should we do? We should do what Philip did. What did Philip do? Glad you asked. I'm going to tell you three things he did. First is this. When God speaks, we must listen. When God speaks, we must listen. Before Philip could act upon what God told him to do, he had to hear and to listen to what God, through the Holy Spirit, told him to do. Had Philip failed to listen, he would have missed what God wanted him to do. And I wonder today, is it possible that someone in this room, you are missing what God wants you to do simply because you're not listening? Now, a natural question that comes up when we say we're supposed to listen to God is how is God going to speak to us today? And and God speaks to us today primarily in, in, in two ways. One, God speaks through scripture. That's what he was doing in Acts chapter eight when The Ethiopian was reading from Isaiah the prophet and God used that scripture to speak to uh, that that Ethiopian and to speak to Philip as well. God speaks through scripture. Understand this this book, this word of God, this is what God has chosen to reveal to us about himself. This book does not contain everything there is to know about God. We could not write enough books. The, the, The world is not big enough for those number of books. But this Bible, this word of God, it does contain what God has chosen to reveal to us. You see, a lot of people say, oh, I just want a word from the Lord, but they don't want the word of the Lord. See, if you want God to speak, he's already spoken. And we have to get in tune to scripture. This, This is why we must read, we must study, we must understand the word of God, because God will speak to us. From his scripture, but God will also speak through his spirit. (laughs) We saw this repeatedly in our text that the Spirit is speaking. And you find it repeatedly in the book of Acts. The Spirit of God reveals to those who follow Jesus what the will and the plan of God is. The Spirit of God in the book of Acts is mentioned over 50 times. That is more than any other New Testament book. With Philip, it was the Spirit who spoke to him and gave him clear direction. And listen, the same Holy Spirit that we see speaking Speaking to the followers of Jesus, to Philip and others in the book of Acts, it's the same Holy Spirit that speaks to followers of Jesus today. It's the same Spirit. You get the same amount when you come to faith in Christ. You become filled with the Holy Spirit. The question is, are followers of Jesus today listening to the Spirit like Philip was listening? He's speaking. The question is, are we Listening. This is why it's imperative for us to be sure that we're walking in step with the Spirit and to ask God to lead us with His Spirit and to speak to us from His Spirit. When it comes to listening, I think Jesus summarized it best in Mark chapter 4, verses 21 and through 23, where Jesus asked a question, he said, is, is a is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket? Or under a bed and not on a stand, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. These two tools, Scripture and the Spirit, are more than enough for God to clearly communicate to us Are you listening? When God speaks, we must listen. Second, when God speaks, we must obey. When God speaks, we must obey. Verse 26 says that the angel of the Lord said, go. Verse 27, Philip rose and went. Verse 29, the Spirit said, go. Verse 30, so Philip ran. What an example. He listened, he heard, then he obeyed. Look, this is really simple and really straightforward. When we listen to what God is saying to us through Scripture, through the Spirit, we will either obey or we won't. That's it. That's the only two choices you have. It's that simple. You follow in obedience or disobedience. Well, pastor, what if I do pull it? That's not a choice. When our our kids were smaller, their mother taught them how to remember obedience. And obedience, as the saying went, is when you obey all the way, right away, happily. That was it. That's obedience. It's all the way, it's right away, and it's happily. That's based on Scripture. You see, divided obedience, delayed obedience, disgruntled obedience, that's not obedience. That is disobedience. You either obey right away, all the way, happily, or you are disobedient. Now, Philip's response teaches us something about the nature of biblical obedience. For example, what something Philip teaches us is that obedience is doing exactly what God says to do. Exactly. God said go. Philip said, I'm going to go. <laughs> exactly what God has said do. Our calling is to be obedient to whatever God calls us to do today. See, around here we use the language about putting your yes on the table. We, We use that language quite a bit, that your commitment to today is to put your yes on the table. Our job is to bring the yes. God's job is to decide the table. Okay, God determines what's on the table, what the table consists of. Our task is to put a yes on whatever that table is that God is calling us to do. Because you see, this obedience is important because obedience opens the door for God to work through us. See, God's goal in our obedience isn't so he can flex his muscles or fence us in. His goal is for glory to be given to him as he works through us because we are obedient. Philip's obedience opened the door for God to use him as the first follower of Jesus to share the gospel with a foreigner on the first short-term mission trip. D.L. Moody, who was a, a pretty popular American pastor uh, and preacher, he sat under a British uh, pastor a theologian by the name of Henry Varley. And, and Henry Varley, who whom he learned from, one time said this years and years ago. He said, the world has yet to see what God can do through the life of a believer that is fully yielded to him. Will you be that person who listens, who obeys? Number three, when God speaks, we must share. We must share. Listening to what God says should lead us to obeying what God says. And one of the things God has clearly said is that every follower of Jesus has been sent into the world with the purpose of sharing who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. If you do not share, you cannot say that you have obeyed. And if you are not obedient, you cannot say that you are really listening to what God has said. Listening leads to obedience. Obedience leads to sharing. Look, There is no gap between the call to follow Jesus and the call to engage in the Great Commission. There's no gap in that calling. It is one and the same. And it is not God's goal or desire to keep secret things that he has said secret. God has no desire to keep what he said a secret just for a select few. He wants it to be broadcast to the entire world. That is why the book of Acts, our focus is on being set until the whole world hears. Because God's desire is not to be quiet about what he's done, but to tell the world what he has done. And here we have Philip shared a message. They obviously had some pretty intense dialogue that went beyond just what's recorded in our text because they worked through that text in Isaiah. But he shared that message just as we're called to share a message. And it's summarized in verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with Scripture he told him the good news about Jesus. So Lest anyone be confused this morning, let me share with you this good news about Jesus. You see, this good news about Jesus, according to John 3.16, is that God loves you more than you can ever imagine. God loves you more than you can comprehend. God loves you so much that he gave up his one and only son so that you could have a relationship with him. You need to have a relationship with Him because according to Scripture, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And our sin separates us from God. And according to Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2, that that sin causes a separation so that God cannot hear us. And so even though God loves us, our sin (coughs) separates us from Him and we need something to bridge that gap. But we cannot bridge that gap We cannot do enough good things to bridge that gap. We cannot go to church enough to bridge that gap. We can't be baptized to bridge that gap. We can't give an offering to bridge that gap. There's nothing we can do because we are sinful, fallen human beings. There's nothing we can do to fix the problem between us and God. But that's why God sent his son who lived a life that we should have lived but never could. And in Jesus, we see someone, according to the book of Hebrews, who was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. And we see this Jesus go to a cross. And on that cross, we see this Jesus, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We see him die to pay the penalty for my sin and for yours. And they buried this Jesus. Jesus. Death could not hold him. And three days later, he came back from that grave never to die again. Seen by the apostles and many others over the course of many days. And because he was able to pay the price as the perfect sacrifice of God to God, he now has the ability and the authority to forgive my sin. So that when I come to him in faith and I say, Lord, I confess to you, I agree with you that I'm a sinner. I agree with you that what your word says about my sin is true, that I can never earn my salvation. But Lord, I also believe that you died for me. I also believe that you lived a sinless life and you died the death for me that I was condemned to die in my place. And I believe what your word says that if I confess my sin to you, and if I repent, now that doesn't mean I never sin again. But on the day I asked Jesus to save me, I repented. I said, Lord, would you give me a heart to turn away from sin and to follow you? Lord, would you help me not only serve myself, but serve you? And when I repented of that sin, 1 John 1, 1.9 says, that if we confess our sins, oh, he is faithful. He is just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that now when God looks at me, instead of seeing all of my unrighteousness, all the Father sees is the righteousness of Jesus in my life. And I said, that's nothing I have done. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it is by grace that I have been saved through faith. It's not of myself. It's not of works. So that no man, so that I cannot boast. My friend, that is some good news about Jesus. And you no longer have the excuse of saying, I don't know what the good news is. I just shared it with you. And so now, if you have a relationship with Jesus, that is your good news to share. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that is the good news you can believe. And when you believe it, you'll find a Savior who will save you from your sins and give you abundant life on this earth and eternal life with Him in eternity. Notice the result of Philip's encounter with this Ethiopian. It was the Ethiopian's salvation in his baptism. All because, watch this, all because a normal, ordinary follower of Jesus listened to God speak through the Spirit, he obeyed and he shared the good news about Jesus. What do you think might happen if every follower of Jesus in this room this morning made the same commitment. We'd have to turn people away next Sunday. So let me ask you, what's stopping you? What's stopping you from making this commitment To listen, to obey, and to share. Whatever excuses you're coming up with in your mind right now, the Hebrew word for those excuses, hogwash. (laughs) Because the only thing, watch, the only thing that's keeping you From making this commitment is you. It's you. This church had nothing but the Spirit of God and a commitment to the gospel. You've got the Spirit of God if you're a follower of Jesus. Now, will you make a commitment to the gospel? I'm going to pray in just a second. When I pray, after I pray, we're going to stand and sing. God has been so good to us, and that goodness is for our benefit, but it's also for us to share with others how good God has been to us. Maybe this morning you, you thought you were listening, but you're not obeying and you're not sharing, and maybe it's dawned on you that, that you need to make a fresh commitment to listening, obeying, and sharing. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never placed faith in Jesus and you just heard this good news about Jesus and as I pray, you may want to pray similar, something similar to what I prayed as I was sharing the good news this Jesus, what I prayed many years ago to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. I don't know what table God's putting in front of you this morning but I know our job is to put a yes on whatever table it is. Well, you leave here today having put your yes on the table, ready to do what God is calling you to do. Father, I thank you that Jesus did for me what I can never do for myself. I'm thankful that he paid the price of my sin. And Father, I pray that I would be committed just as Philip was to listening, to obeying, and to sharing. Father, you don't have a desire for us to keep this good news to ourselves, but to share it with others. So help us make a commitment to that today. And for those in this room who have never made that commitment to Jesus as Lord and Savior, may today be the day that they release their sin and their unrighteousness, and they place their trust in you. Have your will and your way with us today. In the good name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's